Welcome to the International Trade Resource Podcast, your go-to source for insights and information on all aspects of international trade. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a trade professional, or just curious about the global marketplace, we've got you covered. Recently, our host, Kim Kirkendall, sat down with Russell Brown and Art Dicker to discuss scaling back or closing down operations in China. In this episode, we will hear Kim Kirkendall discussing employee termination and Art Dicker discussing how to change designated representatives. Kim Kirkendall is the founder and president of both International Resource Development and International Trade Resources. Art Dicker is senior counsel at R&P China Lawyers and has spent the past 16 years providing legal advice to international businesses in China. If you would like to watch the webinar in its entirety, please visit our website, www.intltraderesources.com. So my name is Kimberly Kirkendall. Um, my company is International Resource Development, and we have an organization, International Trade Resources, that has podcasts and training materials for companies doing international trade. So I want to jump into just an overview of the basics of employment. All employees in China should be on a labor contract, a signed labor contract. And this is something that is news to many foreign business owners if they haven't been directly involved with their, with their business in China, with the entity in China. And those contracts continue to be, to be signed. There are instances, there are nuances to everything I'm, I'm saying here because we have 10 minutes for this presentation or less. But, you know, it's very important to understand what your team is doing with the contracts when they're being signed, who they're being held by, what they're doing when the employees are signing their fourth or fifth or sixth contract. Those are all decisions they may make, but those decisions could affect you if you come to terminate one or two or all of your employees. So um, the contracts vary in length. Uh, there are rules that affect employees after five and again, 10 years of employment. So those are kind of key dates where things may change a little bit. So one of the things I recommend as a first step is to keep on file at headquarters a copy of the key employee's most recent contracts, sorry, not terminations. If you decide suddenly that you want to terminate the general manager, or you want to terminate the CFO, suddenly asking for copies of the contract can be a red flag. So it's better for you just to keep copies of those contracts at headquarters at all times. Important factors to consider here. China has regulated termination and severance. So both pieces of that are highly regulated. If an employee is dissatisfied with the termination offer or with unilateral termination, they can appeal to the Labor Bureau. The U.S., you know, tends to think that it's going to go to court, it's going to go to litigation. It doesn't. The first step is the Labor Bureau, which is a mediation process. The Labor Bureau works with the employee and the company, uh, but they can make a final decision on that agreement if an agreement cannot be reached. If you're going to terminate more than 10% of your workers, you need to coordinate to warn the Labor Bureau, and it would benefit you if you did. A few years ago, we terminated uh, about 300 employees at a factory that had been, the business had been sold, but they didn't want to keep the employees. So we started with a discussion with the Labor Bureau, and, and they actually asked us very early on to delay one of the waves of termination around a major Chinese holiday. And the U.S. said, why? Like, why do we care? Why should we pay people another five days? And I said, because helping the Labor Bureau means they're going to help you later. If it helps their KPIs look better, that they didn't lose a bunch of workers right before the holidays, then, then we need to help them because then if we have any disgruntled employees, it can help us out later. 
So you want to look at it as a collaborative relationship and try to do what you can to work together with them. This presentation is very simple. There's a lot more nuances. Um, Art may touch on a few things in his presentation that are, you know, oddities that you may find unusual, including limits on termination if someone's pregnant or if they've been injured. And then there are other factors that can just complicate it. So one of the things I'd like to say to you early on, and I know Russell and Art would agree, is that you need to assess risk before proceeding. You need to talk to, to us, you work with all three of us in this process and understand what are my costs going to be? What's the timeline? What are the risks? How can I position myself now so that I'm not getting myself into more trouble later? There's three broad categories as reasons for termination. Termination with cause, termination without cause, and unilateral termination. So with cause, basically you have the strongest reason and you can deny the employee any kind of severance. This includes, but isn't limited to, they've committed a serious crime, they've committed a serious breach of employers' rules and regulations. They oddly, they hold another job in China is considered very critical. They're intended to hold one job at a time. Termination without cause. In this case, you have an acceptable reason, but you do need to pay severance. So the employee's incapable of performing his or her job after training or transfer. Maybe there's been a change in objective services. So did you have a huge change in business environment? If you're closing three other offices and you're also closing this one, then that gives you some support. Um, if the position has been eliminated, this is one of my favorite uses of this, is to eliminate, but you can't create a new position that's the same. It has to be very different, very different position that that employee would not be capable of. And then the third option is unilateral termination. In this case, you're terminating the employee without the above reasons, and this is the most risky. They're not having to sign anything recognizing that they've been terminated or they can refuse to sign and, and in that situation, then it's, it's more likely that this is going to go to the Labor Bureau. How long does, I mean, if they, if they go to the Labor Bureau, how long does it often take to get through that process? It can take months. Um, it doesn't typically take over a year in my experience. I have one of these going through right now because I just did some terminations in China with one of Arts Associates um, at RMP Law Firm. We collaborated on it together. And in, the, in one of the employee cases, they refused to accept we offered them severance, although we had reasons for uh, for terminating them without severance. We offered them severance. They refused to sign anything. It's now at the Labor Bureau. It's been over a month and nothing's happening. So it also depends on the employee. You know, do they do they want to cooperate? What is their end game? You know, so trying to understand that and work through the situation. But if you're closing a business and you want to close it by X date and you can't get employees to agree to termination, it completely throws off your timeline for closing the company. So that's where it makes it can make it very, very difficult. Thanks, Russell, for that question. Based on severance, the broad calculation is one month salary for each year's service. Now, you can go to the average monthly salary of the employee but you can also go as low as the average monthly salary for that city, the city average, at times three. So 3% of the city's average. And you can get these, your HR person or any one of us can get you these numbers for your city. So they also receive an additional one month if no notice is given. So if the city average is 3,500 RMB, they work for 10 years with no notice, then they get 10, 10 months 
10 months times the 3,500 plus an extra 3,500 for the one month notice they didn't get, right? If they have a higher salary, they might try to negotiate for the calculation to be at their actual wage rather than the, the city average wage. The maximum payment is 12 months salary, although we have gone over that um, in some circumstances. And there are also some circumstances where if their wage is below the city average, they do get the extra months. So there's nuances to everything I'm saying here that depends somewhat on the employee, the situation, why you're terminating, the city that you're in. You know, So there's nuance to all of this. Remember, it's negotiable. When we terminated the 300 employees, everyone was negotiable. We had to have somebody sitting there and having a conversation with every single employee we terminated. And we did it in waves because we were winding down the factory. The worst case scenario typically is their full wage per month times the number of years they work plus notice times two. So that's typically the worst they can get. Although again, there could be negotiations that make it higher than that. So here's an example of what that would look like. And instead of, you know, 6,000 RMB a month um, for uh, seven years, they work for seven years at 60,000. So, so that's what they're getting times two. All right. Things to remember. This is all negotiable. If you're laying off hundreds of people, every one of them could want to negotiate. So setting the standard is important. How do you start off? Like, well, how much, how much are you giving in at the beginning? Because they're all going to talk to each other. Working with the Labor Bureau is critical. You want it to be a collaborative discussion. Um, I have terminated one people, a few hundred and hundreds of people at a plant. So the key thing is to be prepared. Calculate their severance in advance. I walk in with when arts colleague Eric and I did this recently, we walked in with, with three versions. We had a you know, termination where we don't pay you any severance, a termination where we pay you severance and a unilateral termination. And, and so we went from there, right? And if we needed to go make adjustments on the contracts because of negotiation, we could for the amounts. Um, carefully choose who's doing the negotiating and handling the communication with employees and especially the labor bureau. You know, you want someone, uh, our colleague and I were, we played that, you know, black hat, white hat. So he, he was the bad guy. I was a good guy, you know? And so he was saying, you're not getting anything. <laughs> this is what the shareholders want. And I was like, look, I'm GM this week. So we terminated the GM. I'm like, I was interim general manager. So I said, look, I'm the GM this week. I can be nice, right? I could give you a little bit more, but you got to sign now. So, um, and we were able to assess the employees' personalities in advance to be able to choose kind of what was the best method for each employee. And so we felt, you know, pretty successful with how things went for us, but um, it's definitely a process. So from that point, let me introduce Art Dicker with RMP Lawyers. And we have also worked together on many clients over many years. Um, and I've had the opportunity to work with his teams in the same way I have with Russell's team. So, Art, why don't you take it from here? And we look okay. forward to you closing us off here. Yeah, thank you, Kim and Russell. I mean, you've you've covered a lot of uh, um, territory in a short amount of time, and um, you know the basics, including of um, terminating employees. So I won't I won't repeat some of that stuff. Um, clearly, one of the the things that's different in China, as you can tell, is you need cause to fire employees, which coming from the US like me is, is, is different. I mean, I think most companies that have been in China for some time have that understanding by now, but um, it's very different. You need reasons, as Kim mentioned, and it's not 
it's very difficult to meet those reasons for having uh, unilateral termination or, or termination for cause. Um, so I, before I get into more of that, um, I'm with RNP, which is a, a Chinese law firm. Um, we advise and represent foreign businesses almost exclusively in China. Um, we do have Chinese clients as well, but for the most part, we focus on foreign companies. And so myself, I've been in China for 16 years, um, uh, now senior counsel at RNP, um, have some uh, an MBA as well to kick around and, and have a little more balanced perspective um, as a lawyer um, and used to be at other firms in China as well, Morrison Forster, and also have, have been in-house as a Asia-Pac GC for Cadence Design Systems. So I'm going to be very brief. Um, and I just wanted to point out some things that, that haven't quite come up yet, although this, this one did a bit. One issue I'd like to touch on is, um, as Kim mentioned earlier, if you don't have an employment contract, let's say you're going to go in and terminate the, the GM, and that person maybe was rolled over from a previous contract when they weren't GM, or they were going to sign a contract and it never was signed, uh, and they're still working off an old contract, but the term has expired for whatever reason. Um, they don't have a current written contract. Well, you need that. And if you don't have that, you can potentially be on the hook for double, actually, the salary. Um, so these are things that we, we routinely ask right off the bat. You know, as Kim mentioned, where are the contracts? Let's look at them. Do you have contracts? And so that catches a lot of people by surprise because, as Kim mentioned, you know, a lot of this stuff is, um, you know, let you, you let the local, um, HR person or, or admin handle this stuff, keep all the records. And suddenly when you need this stuff, you realize either you can't find it or it's incomplete. And this can lead to problems. And a clear problem is you might have to pay extra salary because that's a, that's a clear um, violation of the labor contract law. You need to have a written contract with, with your employees, including the GM, of course. Briefly, one another issue I've seen come up, which is can be a bit of either is the reason that you're going to be terminating the employee, or sometimes comes as a as a nasty surprise when you're when you're terminating the employee, and and a fellow employees maybe see that that person's on their way out, and maybe things come up um, that you didn't even expect. Obviously, if you're shutting down a company, it, it can be even worse because there's less incentive for people to kind of keep everything intact and keep everything um, um, nice and peaceful. When you have a, you know, crisis like this, you're, you're saying that you're, you're going to have to be shutting down the company or you're, you're having a major change at the top. Um, you're going to be prepared for all kinds of ugly things to rear, rear uh, things to rear their ugly head. And one of these things we see is these competing businesses, side businesses, um, and what catches people by surprise is the amount of evidence you need. And this goes across the board for whatever kind of uh, kind of wrongdoing you see an employee um, committing in China. Um, it's one thing to hear rumors about what they might be doing, for example, having a competing business on the side. It's another thing to actually track down that competing business, get usable evidence that you could put up in a court, um, and then get that and proceed with that case and get to a judgment or get anywhere close there and use it as leverage. Um, and a lot of employees or senior employees know this too. And they know that these things often are difficult to prove. It's 
part of the reason why it sometimes can be so brazen like this. So for example, you might, you actually have to prove the relationship. Maybe it's a, someone's cousin is a supplier of the company, right? And so that you have to go through that process. And it's, the point is it's, it's, it's easier said than done. I have had many clients come to me and say, okay, I know this is employee is doing something wrong. Let's terminate him. And I, well, you know, I wish it was that easy. Um, you know, you really um, have to, again, problem is coming up with clear, conclusive evidence that you can actually use. So competition um, comes up a lot, um, particularly I've seen where you've delegated a lot of authority to a local GM in multinational companies. Um, I've seen this time and time again, the local GMs view their local business as their baby and as their, and they want to control everything about it. Um, and make the staff entirely loyal to them above anything else and handpick people who are loyal to them above even their ability to do their job. And so what this leads to is you have a very tight control of information that the GM um, uh, maintains, access to documents um, and uh, control over you know, supply contracts and other things that you would need to prove um, the wrongdoing. So that's something to be aware of. It's, again, I can't say it enough. It's very difficult to prove some of these, these things. Another thing that comes up um, is trade secrets. And, and on the whole, the legal system, the knowledge of legal obligations by, by people, including employees, um, and just overall, things have gotten better in China as far as um, the ability to you know, use your legal rights as a, as a company, as a foreign company, uh, including your right to protect your trade secrets. Um, but um, sometimes um, there's still, I think, a lack of understanding or a lack of respect for the value of trade secrets and confidential um, proprietary information that companies have and that this stuff gets sometimes freely shared or used in ways which is inappropriate. And so what we what we've com- commonly seen again is the issue of evidence. There are certain basic protections that, under the law of not uh, use confidential information, and your employment agreement should have very clearly um, rules on not allowing uh, how confidential information should be maintained and not used outside of the company. We often like to also see as sometimes even a separate agreement strictly governing governing uh, confidential information and. Uh, invention assignment and things that IP that is created by the employee. But again, if you don't have this documented, if things are not in an employee handbook, uh, you don't have clear rules on these things, then a, a, you may have a hard time proving a breach of company policy, which you need a clear breach to terminate someone. And if, and if you have that breach of a rule, you do have a rule in place. Again, it comes back to, do you have the necessary evidence that you can provide? Of, of this kind of a breach? Um, is it, is it rise to the level of criminal, um, uh, um, behavior? And then it all, co- again, at the end of the day, comes back to, um, how do you use this? You know, do you publicly, um, uh, go out and try and bring an actual case and work with the authorities? Do you keep it under wraps and just get rid of the employee? It depends, of course, on the seriousness. Sometimes you need to be harder than and more public about it than you might like to be in order to send a message to the rest of your employees that this is this is our valuable internal IP and you cannot. Uh, we have these rules and we will enforce them. And so sometimes it is about sending a message to the employees as well.
Um, lastly, uh, I just wanted to share a word about um, preparation, and we've talked about this already a lot, and, and Kim and Russell, I know, uh, are experts at being fully prepared, and we've worked with them to be fully prepared on some of these kinds of cases we've talked about where everything is set up in place as you go in. You know, as Kim mentioned, the termination letters, you have different versions pre-signed, ready to go, depending on the discussions. Um, you, you've gotten every, your documents in place. Um or what you need, control of chops, as Russell mentioned. And one of the things that often gets overlooked is the um, preparing the corporate resolutions for, uh, for including, let's say, the legal rep is outside of China, and getting the, the proper authority to remove uh, the general manager from their position, including on the, the registration, on the roles of, um, uh, you know, the local reg- corporate registry, uh, AMR, and other agencies, you need to get this person off the official records. Um, this this is a, just a quick screenshot of what we would typically put together for, for the steps you you need to get rid of a GM, which is a lesser kind of a process. Uh, the next slide would show a bit more of the timeline for getting rid of uh, getting rid of a legal rep off of all of the official registries. Um, you can see that the legal rep is incredibly important and is involved in so many different things in China. It's a lot of reasons why nobody wants to be a legal rep sometimes, but then the process of removing them and, and taking power away from them to do things is critical. And so you have to kind of think about the steps involved, the timing involved, the documents you need prepared ahead of time to do that. Um, and so this is a list of some of the steps that you'll have to go through. So as much as you can prepare in advance, you, you need to do that. Um, to take that authority back from the legal rep. That's all I have, because um, I know we want to keep it short and Thank sweet you. today. Um, please feel free to reach out, obviously, to all of us. If you have legal questions, RNP, we're a full-service Chinese law firm. My email is there at the bottom. Uh, we handle across the range of issues, and we're a local firm, so we actually really can get into the weeds on employment, litigation, IP, um, and we have a lot of experience on these kind of difficult situations. Thank you. Thanks, Art. Thanks uh, also, Russell. And I think if nothing else, I hope our uh, listeners realize that it's important to prepare. You need to, many companies, I ask them, who's your legal rep? You know, who's the shareholder rep? And they have no idea because they set the company up 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or there's been changes in management and headquarters, and there wasn't anybody who was involved with it earlier. So these are all things that we're, you know, we're going to talk with you about. Um, thank you both very much, uh, Russell Brown with The Climb and Art Dicker with RMP Lawyers, and then myself, Kimberly Kirkendall, International Resource Development. Thank you all very much for joining us today. And to our, our listeners, we hope you have an opportunity to reach out to uh, any, any of us that you might need in the future. Thanks again, everyone. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to International Trade Resource Podcast. We'd like to take this opportunity to once again thank Russell Brown and Art Dicker for contributing their expert opinion and analysis to the show. If you'd like to watch the webinar in in its entirety or hear older episodes of the podcast, please go to www.intltraderesources.com.